The scripture passage for this morning is printed for us in your bulletin. Hear now the word of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension or comparison, as, which is the right word. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Lord, bless this reading of his word. Please be seated. Part of what I want to uh, talk about today is the things that are unseen. And there are a couple of different aspects of that that we're going to look at. But one of the things that, uh, that I don't know a lot about, I'm, I'm learning more about, but you know, there have been books written on it, is that when, when we in this world fix our eyes on the things of the world, we're easily led astray, we're easily oppressed, we're easily led to despair, and already today there's been some speaking of the Lord to me about this. There's been a couple references already about the fog and the clouds. We all know that when we're here at this level right now, it does seem hazy, it's unclear, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 13. Now I see through a mirror dimly that it's sometimes hard to make out shapes with any kind of clarity. But if we were to go, I'm not sure how much higher, 10,000 feet, maybe more, it would be sparkling bright, would it not? Once you got above the clouds, as you do when you fly in an airplane so often, you break through those clouds, and it's blindingly glorious. That's a... That's a an example of what I think we need on a regular basis to be reminded of. That in the life around us, we can be all hazy and cloudy. And it comes upon us so very frequently. But there's more to what's there than we're able to see. The things that are unseen versus the things that are seen. One of my favorite passages and, and stories in the scriptures around Christmas time is the, the heavenly host appearing to the shepherds. I, I, I like to, to picture that in my mind. I, I wish I had some computer graphic skills like George Lucas or Steven Spielberg who could create a computer-generated vi vision of what that might have been like. That at night... When it's dark, perhaps a little chilly, a little cold, there is a glorious brightness and presence of the heavenly host singing out loud to the glory of God. What an incredible picture. How I wish I could have been there. It also reminds me of my grandson, Elliot. A year ago, at his church in Iowa. By the way, what 
the head of the search committee was Van Ink, is that right? So we have another Dutch-like name going on here? Okay, DeVries, okay. I, there's a connection there probably. <laughs> but up in Iowa, uh, for Christmas, their church did a video of, of children reciting that story the, of, of Christ's birth. And my son, my grandson, had the, uh, had the part about the angels singing. And so I have it on video here, and I'm going to show you. I mean, I really am. <laughs> so um, let's see. I can zoom in here, I think. Let's see. Because there's something about the way he does it that I want you to see. Okay, this is not him. There's a couple of girls before him. Can you see it? Of course you can. I mean, you can look on your phones, and if you can see your phones, you can see this is, this is huge, right? And I'll uh, try to hold it up so you can hear it. Okay, we good to go? Whoops. The little spinning wheel of death is going on right here. <laughs> this is on my iPad. I don't know why it's it's not even doesn't even have to connect to the internet. I don't know what's going on here. Well, you know how it is with technology. It worked this morning. <laughs> well, when it starts talking, I'll hold it up. Um, in the meantime, how y'all doing? <laughs> is this like uh, Jimmy Fallon at the Glo uh, Golden Globes? Did y'all see that? You know, the monitors went out and all that. I just saw that first part which, where they were dancing on the roofs. Um, anyone want to dance on the... No, I'm just... Okay. Well, I guess I'll have to stop. Um, I apologize for this. Let me mimic him. What he did in his part when he came out, well... This is going to distract me. Y'all uh, share the peace with each other. Uh, I'm going to give it one more shot here. I'm, I am known for my stubbornness. Ask Hazel. Um, he comes out and he says his part with an excitement and an enthusiasm that is... At one, at once, also, it's funny and hilarious in a sense, but it's also, I think, an example of how we need to be excited about the things of God, and especially the things that are not seen. Because when we stop and think about it, did you know I can talk and do this at the same time? It's unusual. Good thing I'm not chewing gum. Um... By the way, it's a good thing I'm not candidating for a pastor because y'all would say, this guy is really weird. Okay. Well, it's still not going to do it. Okay. He comes out. Afterwards, if you want to see it out in the lobby, I'm sure it'll work just instantly like that. <laughs> 
he comes out and he says, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to the men of goodwill. He's three years old. <laughs> and he was dancing on the stage saying, Praise God because of who he is and what he has done. You got to see it. So come over to our house. We'll have coffee, coke. <laughs> it's important that we understand the glory of who God is, the power of who God is, what God has done, even in those moments and in those times when we can't see it. And those are the normal times of our lives when we can't see those things. The Apostle Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians here, in chapter 4, if you have your Bibles open, uh, please open to chapter 4, chapter four, because I'm going to expand a little bit beyond the passages, the, the verses that are listed for us for the sermon. Um, also, I notice we don't have the Lord's Supper today, so I've got plenty of time. That's part of why I messed around with the uh, video, as I did. But the Apostle Paul in chapter 4, verse 1, as he talks about the incredible ministry that God has given him to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are in darkness, to those as from the Isaiah during the Christmas time, that, that there were the people who in darkness have seen a great light, that the world is filled with darkness, the world is filled with haze and fog and clouds that confuse us, that challenge us, that oppress us. But there is a light. Jesus was the light. He came into the world. And the Apostle Paul, among others, were given the ministry of sharing that light, bringing that light into the place where the darkness resides, which is quite often, and actually, as the scriptures say, our own very hearts. It's not just the things outside of us, but there's darkness within us. And so the Apostle Paul says in verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Which is how verse 16 starts as well. So, we do not lose heart. So twice in this chapter, he brings that up. I think he does so because that's what we're prone to do. We are prone to lose heart, to become discouraged. That word in the Greek essentially means to be, <clears throat> to be utterly spiritless, to be wearied, to be exhausted. That's the effect the world can have on us that we can become to the, come to the place where we, we just have, we, we lose our zest for life. We lose our zeal for anything. We see the difficulties and the darkness around us, even from within our own hearts, and it crowds in on us. In fact, back up in verse 4, no, I'm sorry, verse 7. I guess I'm going to have to start bringing my larger print Bible um, I mean, seriously. Uh, anyway. This is an aside. 
I have a tendency to be a little goofy. Uh, I hope you're okay with that. It is not meant in any kind of irreverence or, or disrespect to you or to the Lord. It's a reflection of the joy of my heart that I enjoy the scriptures. I enjoy the Lord. I enjoy being with God's people. And sometimes it just makes me giddy and goofy. Um, so, thank you. Uh, so, you know me well enough to know that, hopefully. But if for some of you who are kind of new and trying to figure out who I am, that's, that's part of who I am. But hopefully that doesn't take away from the seriousness of what I want to communicate. Uh, and, and by the Lord's Spirit, I, I pray that I will be able to communicate this truth to you. But in verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes, We have this treasure and jars of clay. Now he's talking specifically about the ministry of preaching the gospel and bringing the light into the darkness, but I think it can be easily applied to all of us that the treasure that we have, the gospel that enters into our lives, that changes us, that renews us, that transforms us, Paul later on in this book will say, into uh, that we are new creations because we're in Christ, because all of that transformation happens it's not because of anything about who we are. We are not worthy vessels. We are jars of mud, jars of clay. But God has seen fit to pour into us his great and glorious self. And therefore, all that we have and all that we do and all that the Apostle Paul was talking about here in this, in this book has nothing to do with his value or his worth, but simply he is just a treasure, he is just a, a jar of clay into which God has poured this incredible treasure. He did so to show, continuing in verse 7, to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If our existence if an example of our existence is like the fog of this day, are we capable of getting rid of the fog? Is there anything that man can do to rid ourselves of the fog around us, literally speaking? If so, there wouldn't be so many accidents in the fog. If there was some kind of mechanism or system or something in place that we could use, I'm from California, and, and, and Interstate 5 out there is notorious for fog that results in 75-car pileups regularly because people just can't see, and they come right up on it. If there was a way we could eliminate that, we would do it. But we don't have the power. Much like the example of if we could go up 10,000 feet and see the glory of the sky and the brightness of the sun and the blueness of all that is up there, we can't just do that. We have to have something intermediate that helps us with that, an airplane. We can't go up there on our own. We have to go up on an airplane in order to see that. Well, I guess there are some people who could climb Mount Everest. I mean, but I'm not doing that. <laughs> Maybe some of you will do that. And so the power belongs to God and not to us. In fact... This is the experience, continuing on here, this is the experience we have in this life. We are afflicted 
in every way. That word afflicted has the idea of being hard-pressed, even to the point of being compressed, being squeezed in. It's much like sometimes if you get a plastic bag, like of leaves or dirty clothes or whatever it might be, and you start pressing down on it and the air comes out, it gets all compressed and tight together. Vacuum packed. That's the imagery here. We are vacuum packed, pressed hard in every way, all around us. That's part of life, is it not? That we feel the pressures, the compression of life all around us, that we are afflicted. It's much like stomping out grapes into wine, just press down, just press down, just press down. It doesn't stop. Really, it doesn't stop. If you think about it over the long haul, there may be periods where it seems like things are going well, but there's also pressures that still come in on us, maybe from a different direction. So Paul says we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are not so compressed that we become dust, that we become non-existent. We are not crushed out of uh, any sense of, of existence, that, that we can continue to maintain our ongoing life, but the pressure is there, but we're not crushed. He also says that we are perplexed. That word means to be uh, at a loss with oneself, to be in doubt. I love this because this is exactly me. Not to know how to decide what to do. I am the world's worst, in my opinion, decision maker. Hazel will say, well, do you, do you want this? you want that? I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> Those are my, my, my most frequent things. I don't know, and I don't care. Um, but I think this is a... It, is an extension of that to a, to a greater degree. It's, it's much like in Chronicles where Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel are surrounded by the enemy and the, and the armies that are surrounding them are too great to face. And so Jehoshaphat calls a prayer of the people and part of his prayer is, Lord, we are surrounded by this enemy we don't have the power, and we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to make it through life. We, don't know, we, we sometimes don't know how to make things better. We don't know how to deal with the sin in our own lives. We don't know how to repair that relationship. We don't know how to walk after God in a manner that brings glory to him. So often we get lost in the things of the world around us, being pressed but not crushed, perplexed, challenged, not quite understanding, being confused. Have you ever felt confused about the world? Have you ever felt confused about who God is, what God's doing, where is he in this? Perplexed, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to decide things, but just clinging, just clinging to what's there. 
Paul goes on to say, even though we're perplexed, we don't fall into despair. To be utterly lost, to be utterly destitute, to renounce all hope. I must confess that I struggle with depression. Have for a while. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. You know, there's a scale where doctors measure depression. And on one of the, one of the questions is, have you in the last two weeks or whatever it is, lost hope, feel hopeless? And I always have to say, that's not true of me. I may be despondent. I may be depressed. But I thank God I have not ever come to the place of feeling hopeless. It's because I, I think much like what Paul is saying here, and Paul, I think there's a scripture example of Paul feeling depressed. You know, they came to the place where they gave up even the, th the thought of living. They thought that they were at the end of their rope and that they were going to die. God delivered them. But at some point, he could always say, I have hope in the anchor of my soul and the one who ever lives, the one who is my redeemer. So even being perplexed, we don't fall into despair. Paul says that we are persecuted. That word doesn't need to be expanded too much, but it's having trouble being harassed, being mistreated, uh, uh, people being hostile toward you. And maybe you feel, felt that, maybe you haven't. You know, Paul, obviously, in the New Testament time, felt that to, a, to an extreme way. But even we may feel that somewhat, being discriminated against because we believe that there is marriage between a man and a woman, or whatever it might be, for the things that we want to stand up for, that the Bible is God's word, that there is only one way to heaven, and it is through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. All religions are not the same. And sometimes just saying that and making a stand in that regard, people will turn against you. I just came from a week of uh, chaplains meetings in Washington, D.C. And in the, in the civilian world, I stand out like a sore thumb. There's maybe one or two others who are theologically and biblically pretty much where I am. Thankfully, in the military world, it's just the opposite. You may be encouraged by that. The prayers for those meetings were prayed in Jesus' name. We had the Bible used in the devotionals. Uh, it's incredibly different. And usually in the civilian world, if you do a devotional, it's it's either some poem by some famous poet or, or a Buddhist prayer. I mean, it's, it's really weird. <laughs> and you can, and if, you, if you make a stand or, 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 or want to stand up to something, sometimes they can just look at you like, what planet are you from? Because they don't understand. That can be a form of persecution. We may be persecuted, but Paul goes on to say we aren't forsaken. We're not abandoned. We're not deserted. Uh, we're not left behind. God is with us. He is always with us. And he never fails us. I love the scriptures 
the, the hymns that we sang this morning, and I marked some of these things that, that fit in with what I'm trying to communicate to you. Back in the call to worship from Isaiah, you know, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. What an incredible promise. Persecuted, but not forsaken. I also like, if you turn the page, to how firm a foundation. Heath must have been reading my mind on some of these things, because these are some of my favorite things. The last verse, well, you know, the second verse says, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed. And then the last one, The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes, that so though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. I love that. I mean, sing it and say it with, with power and with emotion because this is the truth. What a glorious truth to be reminded of, to encourage us in those times when we are still in the fog. We may be afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, but these things are true. And then the last thing Paul says there in, the, in those verses is cast down, to be thrown to the ground, to be put in a lower place, to be humbled in a negative way, that we are perhaps humiliated uh, in the sense of shame, being, feeling perhaps shame from the world about who we are and, and what we have done and the challenges that we have. But he says we are not destroyed. We are not rendered useless. We are not ruined. These are incredible things that Paul says to the Corinthians in light of the reason to not lose heart because these things are true. It's God's power. It's God's presence in these jars of clay that these things can be part of our existence and our reality. But do not lose heart. Do not come to that place of being utterly spiritless, wearied and exhausted. Back to verse 16. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our outer self, the things of the flesh, the things of the world, the things that we experience, the place where we live, the place where we work, the families we live in, the churches we attend, all are flawed. They all have problems. And it can become pressure on us and it could make us weary and exhausted and we might come to the place of being close to that utterly giving up without any hope or spirit and the outer world the outer self is wasting away but our inner self inside that jar of clay where God has poured his power where God has placed his presence, where Jesus said, it is best, better for you that I go away so that the helper can come, the comforter, the one who is going to remind you of the things of God, the one who is going to indwell you, the one who is going to give you power. He's going to even give you the words to say when you're facing, uh, facing a situation where you have no idea what to say or how to defend yourself. The Holy Spirit 
in you as a jar of clay brings forth God's power and God's presence. Four, verse 17, this light momentary affliction. Some of you may on occasion want to scoff at that because some of our afflictions don't seem very light and don't seem very momentary. And from the perspective of this world, those are really the only conclusions you can reach. Getting older, almost 63, real young, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a young one. But even I, as a young one, feel the woes of aging, feel the hurt of family dying, parents, friends dying, parents of friends dying. I'm not sure I can number for you the number of people I know or, or, or know of who are struggling with cancer, people who have diabetes, people who are having vision problems, people who are having dementia problems, people who have Alzheimer's. It seems like if I were to focus on those and to list those every day, I might not have enough time in the day. And that's not even talking about the things of the world, the mess of our culture, the mess of our society, the mess of our politics, the terrible things of terrorism and the terrible things of war, the terrible things of abuse. It goes on and on. And outwardly, it can come to that place of being so oppressive. But Paul says that these things are light and momentary, not from our perspective, but from the perspective of being compared with the things of true weight and the things of eternity. The things that have great weight and substance that far outweigh what we're going through here. And I hope you agree with me that the things we go through here are unbearable. They're so heavy. Quite often they just crush us. And as heavy and as burdensome and as Oppressing as those things are, and they are incredibly so, the, the, the burdens are too much to carry. Compared to the things of heaven, they're very light. The comparison is not to diminish the weight of our afflictions. It's not meant to, to diminish that. It's not meant to make folly of the idea of the weightiness of the tra tragedies of life. But it's to say, 
in comparison. The weight, the glory, the, the joy of what's there in eternity so far outweighs this unbearable burden that in comparison it is light and momentary because we have an eternity that is beyond our imagination. Even the uh, reading from the Confession of Faith <coughs> where it says at the, uh, at the day of judgment the righteous being caught up to Christ in the clouds shall be set on his right hand openly acknowledged and then down right in the middle there forever freed from all sin and misery filled with inconceivable joys made perfectly holy and happy, made perfectly holy and happy, both in body and soul. I'm not sure this part of the confession has ever hit me as much as it did today. In light of this sermon, in light of the idea of comparison between the light and momentary afflictions and the eternal weight of glory. That there are inconceivable things that we can't, they're, they're beyond even imagination. You know, we like to say, well, when we get to heaven, it's going to be filled with mashed potatoes. You know, or ice cream. Yeah, yeah, okay, what else? You know, you know. Nintendo 64 all day long, you know. And I win, you know. Whatever it might be. That doesn't even come close to the inconceivable joys that will be there. And so Paul is reminding his people that it, even though we live in such a world where there's fog and clouds and oppression and affliction and persecution, being perplexed, being cast down, all these things, don't lose heart. Because there are things not seen where the true realities live. As we look, verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporal. But the things that are unseen are eternal. This is a little bit of a, a rabbit trail, not much. I know, I just, you know, yeah, everybody look back up at the clock. And, oh boy, here we go. I'm going to try to get the video out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Quite often, and rightly so, this passage encourages us by pointing to those things that are eternal in heaven when we get there. That it's, yes, we're in a 
lousy state perhaps now. We're in a, a world that is so flawed that it's very difficult to be here. And so you just got to remember where you're going. This is part of the journey, and we're going through it, some of the darkness of things here in this life, in this world. But keep your eyes on the end goal. Keep your eyes on the eternal destination. And that's, that's good. We need that. But I also believe that when we think about the things unseen, I think that there's some comfort and encouragement for still being in the fog. In the meantime, between here and there. While we're still wrestling with these light, momentary, quote, unquote, afflictions that we just can't, can't bear, that in the midst of those things, we still need to turn our eyes, not from the seen, but to the unseen. Because God has provided for us power and comfort and encouragement in the here and now. The soul that reposes on Christ, he will not ever, ever, ever forsake. When you go through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the fire, I'll be with you. I also believe... Well, let me read this story. Turn to 2 Kings. Chapter 6. You know, it's the, it's the Sam, Samuel books and then the Kings books and then the Chronicles books and right there, 2 Kings chapter 6. In the middle of that chapter, there's a story about, again, the, about the prophet Elisha and his servant. And an enemy king sends hundreds, if not thousands, of his soldiers on horses and chariots to capture Elisha. Because Elisha, by God's giving him this ability, was able to understand what the strategies were militarily, and he could tell the people of Israel, and so they never got caught in a trap. They never uh, were ambushed, uh, as the king of Syria wanted to do. And so the king of Syria finally found that out, and he said, okay, go get Elisha, and let's take care of him so that we can go on then and have military success. And so they came to Dothan, which is where Elisha was, Says verse 14, so he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha's servant, as anyone would be, would kind of basically say, 
It's just me and you, Elisha. <laughs> Sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it, in the midst of the fog? It's just me and you, maybe. Maybe you have someone with you. Most often it's just, seems like it's just me. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The heavenly army was there. The servant didn't know it, didn't see it. Elisha did. Greater are those who are with us than those who are with them. And sometimes we can't see the them because of the fog and the cloud of life, but we feel their presence. We feel their pressure. We feel their threats. And we become oppressed, perplexed, persecuted, cast down, afflicted. But in the midst of those, if we could fix our eyes, which is the word that's used in 2 Corinthians, which is the word in the Greek, Greek scope. I'm not a hunter, but you hunters probably automatically can figure out what a scope does. A scope focuses in on the aim, the target, where you're wanting to, to put forth your shot. Instead of just a broad general looking around, you, you most likely will never hit that target. Maybe. But when you scope in, you're zeroing in on what you're aiming at. And so the Apostle Paul says, we need to scope in on the things not seen. Eternal glory and heaven, our final destination, yes, but also right now in this life, in this world, there are angels surrounding us. I have no doubt. There are angels observing this worship service. There are angels in the parking lot. There are angels in your home. There is a spiritual reality that is there. You know us stories. I know us stories where incredible things happened. How did they happen? No one knows other than, as we're believers, we can say, how did that guy in that motorcycle accident not hit the tree, not hit the wall, not run into traffic, not run off the edge, but when the bike was completely destroyed, he landed in soft dirt. We don't know for sure. But might that have been an angel? The scriptures, I listened to R.C. Sproul a little bit on this as I was driving back from Washington and he made the claim, and I'm, yeah, it's R.C., so you know. Got to be right. He's more reliable than Google. <laughs> that the word for angel in the New Testament appears more often than the word sin, 
and more often than the word love. The idea and the concept of angels is pervasive in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're real, people. I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged that in the midst of the affliction that I face in this foggy, cloudy world, I'm not alone. God is with me. The Holy Spirit indwells me. But he also has sent his army. And his army is with me. Therefore, greater are those who are with us than those who are against us. Praise be to God for his glorious provision of an eternal home and a powerful unseen army that surrounds us. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul. We confess that it is a struggle to not lose heart. I confess that, Lord, and I know that there are others here who would join me. Lord, help us to be of good courage. Help our eyes, Lord, our physical eyes and the eyes of our hearts and minds. Focus in on the things not seen that we may endure and make it through the things that are seen to that place that has an eternal weight of glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.